0: Okay, we are live. Well, welcome to another episode of Just Thought You Should Know. I want to thank the viewers that we had out here last time, and uh, there we go. Okay, a little technical difficulty getting going here, but yeah. I want to thank you guys for coming in last time. You guys uh, sent in a lot of comments, uh, had a few questions and stuff. We tried to get all of those answered, but uh, we decided to go ahead and make this a continuation of that show. And, um for some of you that don't know what that topic was, it was the resolution Clark County commissioners from Las Vegas sent to Endow Nevada Department of Wildlife, asking to ban the coyote calling contest. Yes, that's right. Ban the coyote calling contest. This is coming from a town that's got the most amount of coyotes in its jurisdiction, and they want to ban coyote calling contest. So a lot of the sportsmen were up in arms about this. Uh, Looking to see, you know, what what can they do? How do they help? What's uh, what's going on with this? So we send out an email address. There's already a bunch of emails going on in but um, For some of you that are just joining us for the first time. Thank you We want to help educate you on on what's really going on with the coyote issue Yes, as sportsmen we know that there's a ton of coyotes out there And who would have ever thought of canceling a coyote calling contest? So that's what our show is with tonight. I'm your host, Mike Reese, and I've got a guest here tonight. I call him the 365-day-a-year sportsman because this gentleman is out there. He's a waterfowler, big-game hunter, trapper, uh, takes care of furs. He does all kinds of stuff, Mr. Tracy Truman. So, Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. So, um... You are, even though by trade you're an attorney, I'm going to you as the expert witness. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the show. And I do want to let the audience know that um, this show is being broadcast by the Southern Nevada Coalition for Wildlife. Tracy, you were one of the founding members. So, thank you for for not only being a sportsman, but helping with the conservation, and more importantly, with helping educating some of our policymakers and lawmakers and stuff. So, on behalf of the sportsmen, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So, um... Tracy, what do you you think of the resolution? Uh, I mean, if you're one of the nine uh, uh, state wildlife commissioners, what would you be thinking as you're starting to get these emails?
1: Well, um, there's a couple of issues. Um, To me, it seems the central issue is whether or not the Clark County Commission um, should be advising or petitioning the Wildlife Commission To make certain recommendations it's one thing for the county commission to say hey wildlife commission we have a wildlife issue do your job or would you recommend a solution or something like that but it's another one to say wildlife commission we want you to do the following throughout the entire state beyond our county we want you to tell the people in lincoln county the people in white pine county the people in elko county we want you to tell them all how they should or shouldn't do their business when it comes to Hunting and predator calling contests so I think that's uh, with no disrespect to the Clark County Commission uh, they obviously have a very important job to do and as our elected officials but I don't think that's the job that we elected them to do uh, second is you have an agency uh, Nevada Department of Wildlife that is charged with making wildlife decisions gathering data holding policy meetings you have the Wildlife Commission who is responsible for promulgating regulations and acting uh, regulations for uh, the state of Nevada, and they are to do that ostensibly based on data and science and those sorts of things. Do those
0: things really exist?
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I I honestly believe in the policy. I really believe that that's the case. Um, But the question is whether uh, science and data would include... The public opinion which is all it is in my view the public opinion of the clark county commission i don't think that's their within their purview i think they should uh, not be advising or petitioning the wildlife commission on what its responsibility is and how it should do its business um the second thing the third thing i think i would say is that uh, remember this issue was discussed presented heard by the legislature that's right. last last, last time, session last session and the uh, the legislature, after due consideration and all of the all of the information gathering that they do, they said we we're, we're not interested in doing that. We think predator calling contests have a place, and we're we're not going to get in the middle of that. And then fourth and finally is I don't know that the Clark County Commission took into consideration the effect, the economic effect that uh, these predator calling contests have in the state. Uh, I've never been in one, so uh, I, I don't know from a participant, but uh, I have observed them, and I've seen, uh, you know, they are very competitive. There are lots of them. The, there are some local uh, clubs and organizations that sponsor their own. And then the World uh, Predator Calling Contest is held in Elko. Uh, each
0: right de- here in our state, each Elko, Nevada. Each, each December. Wow. And,
1: uh, I went up last year and, uh, and saw uh, – I happened to be selling coyote fur to the to the buyer who bid on and was awarded the right to buy all of the coyotes that were taken and that were harvested During in the, the contest in okay. the contest. and so I got to see them all come in and and uh, that's not only uh, uh, generating a, an income for that organization and all those people who participate, but I can tell you the hotels, the gas stations, yeah, yeah. The, the fast food restaurants. They all appreciate that, and I don't know that that's something that the, the Clark County Commission took into consideration.
0: Right. So, you know, the, um, I call them John Q. public that are out there. They're saying, okay, so, you know, you get 30, 40, 50 people together. I think, I, I can't speak for them, but I think their belief is that all 50 of you hunt together, and it's just go out and it's just a slaughter. And that really couldn't be any farther from the truth. Uh, because most of these competitions are either, well, most of them are two men, but you do have a three man and stuff. But, but as the norm goes, most of them are two guys. So what we're discussing is two guys getting a pickup truck, going on down to a central location, probably a private place, private being a restaurant, a bar, uh, uh, some place of a meeting where they can hold you know 50 people, a banquet room or, or something like that, where they all get to see friends they haven't seen for a while. Um, the, you know, guys, uh, not, not in Clark County anymore. No, not, not have to be in another County. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But they get together, they, they have a dinner, they do whatever. And then, and then, uh, the rules of the, uh, the, the, uh, contest are, are given out and it's, Hey, we're going to start at uh, midnight and you got to be back here by six o'clock tomorrow night. So we're not under the impression that two guys are going to get in a truck and go this way two guys are going to go that way, two guys are going to go that way. They're never going to see those 50 guys again until they actually come back to the check-in. And as I've talked to a couple of the guys, um, some guy says, you know, we're not that good, and sometimes we don't even go back to the check-in. Well, why wouldn't you do that? What for? You know, check-in's probably 50 miles away. Our house is only 25 miles. We're not going to win nothing. We had fun. We, we did this. So to me, what it boils down to is they're saying you can still hunt coyotes. That's fine. We don't have a problem with you hunting coyotes. What the problem really boils down to is, A, you can't have fun. You can't make it a competition. Well, newsflash, we're sportsmen. We call ourselves sportsmen. The prey that we, that we hunt is called game animals. Um, you have sports fishing. It's not fishing, it's sports fishing. So, you know, you, you, have, you have fishing derbies. Endow uh, puts on a carp derby for kids, introduction to that. So, I think the thing that disturbs me the most about this is, number one, you're not to have fun. You're not to socialize. And I, I've narrowed it down to one thing, is it's a small, small group in the state. The number one are good enough to even be in a competition like this. And uh, they're probably not going to like to hear this, but I see it as cultural genocide. It's 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 50 people in the state of Nevada that they want to abolish, say, you you, you are doing it wrong, you can't do it, we don't approve of it, and since we don't like it, you can't do it. I thought lawmakers were elected to expand upon our freedoms. But newsflash, it's, it, I'm... 60 years old plus and every time an election comes up, it's like more freedoms and more freedoms are stripped away Am I wrong in that perception or are they just And It's it's through regulation It's through policy and I think everybody feels they don't have any power unless they can they can put us all in a smaller room smaller corner until bam you guys are gone
1: All of that has some truth to it. I think is valid. I I think the the important part is remember we go back to this issue about whose call really is it if if we're making decisions about the airport if we're making decisions about building height about traffic studies uh, pollution in Clark County those are all within the purview of the Clark County Commission they are the people who <clears throat> if they don't have expertise in that area they certainly have staff they can reach out to people who do have expertise in right. that area but Put the shoe on the other foot. What if the wildlife commission petitioned the Clark County uh, Commission and said, "We don't like the noise of those airplanes. We want you to ban all the noise of those airplanes there at that that noisy airport. We don't like that.
0: They're scaring our wildlife. <clears throat>
1: that's exactly yeah. They're interrupting our <laughs> tail calling contest. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, that's, I, I see. That,
1: that's not within their purview, and so I think, and that's why someone wisely uh, a long time ago. Uh, put in the Nevada Revised Statutes that our game and fish ought to be managed according to science and data when we when we stray over into this this social feel-goodness that seems to be so pervasive these days when we stray over into those subjective sort of categories about what makes me feel good and not feel good then I think we we betray that directive that was given so long ago that has kept us and Nevada's wildlife uh, healthy and flourishing for so long because we manage by science and by data. And so now let's look at what would be the science and data of the Clark County Commission's petition. What would happen if it was granted? So you wouldn't have any more uh, predator calling contests. And uh, you mentioned uh, fishing tournaments and those sorts of things. I I assume they have to go by the the wayside under the same rationale that we don't want anyone profiting from wildlife or in the business of killing wildlife as a contest. Even though, as you mentioned, Endow has the the, the carp Car- contest for the kids. They yeah. have they sponsor big buck contests and don't know sides. how many
0: people eat carp, but yeah, hey. whatever.
1: <laughs> um, but but that's setting that aside. Um, what is the science and data if these contests were no longer permitted? And uh, while I'm not a biologist, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend that I am or that I have some objective data, but. Uh, you know, 50 years of wandering around out in the the desert for a long time uh, tells me that you're obviously going to increase the population of Coyotes. That's a a given. Uh, We mentioned the legislature a minute ago and you and I have been wandering around down those halls for a long time and listening to people like, say, Maggie Carlton and some of the others who uh, are elected officials from Las Vegas who are sick and tired of their constituents calling them and saying, hey, I've got a coyote on my back wall. Yeah. A coyote just grabbed my cat. A coyote just ate my dog. A coyote just ate my kittens, and they're having this interference with coyotes, this this interaction with them. I, I gotta believe that's only going to increase. In fact, we've seen it uh, increase after uh, some of the restrictions on trapping and shooting in in areas of Clark County. Uh, we've we've seen a market increase in that in instances where there has been uh, unfortunate human-coyote interaction, not to mention all of the the pets and that sort of thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, there's been a a paper published on the seven levels of escalations of a coyote, you know, and I kind of talked about that at our last last episode. But uh, to refresh some of that stuff, what Tracy's talking about, because you are a 50 plus year resident here um, and myself included, we've seen the changes. Um, so much so that I wrote a white paper after 2012's legislature and Endow made the decisions they did con- concerning trapping in and around Las Vegas Valley. And I, and I titled it, Who Let the Dogs Out? Because, because I was inundated by, we got the three the, the CBS, the ABC, and the NBC TV shows. All of them were doing a story three times a year on what's changed I mean, it wasn't uncommon to see a coyote, but here's, you know, here's what's changed since then. This is a, this is a golf course in Las Vegas with a pack of coyotes. So Tracy, how do you get a pack of coyotes? Is it through breeding?
1: Well, obviously reproduction <laughs> has a major impact <laughs> it? and, uh, coyotes uh, live in family groups and so what you probably have there is mom and dad and then they typically have between oh say three and seven on average uh, pups so those are probably the young of the previous year that have just not left and the reason they haven't left is because uh, hunting is obviously good there they don't have to go in search of a better uh, habitat mom and dad have let them hang out there uh the reason and
0: they're not being hunted no they're
1: not (laughs) being hunted they have no fear of people they've found a great spot and they're just going to stay there until something forces them to leave
0: so so in our valley we're not talking about the other 77 million acres in nevada we're talking about in our valley we we are we are overrun and i used some figures last time on on our last episode uh in 2016 endow started uh got inundated with phone calls. I'll, I'll put it easy. And they hired a guy, um, Joshua Cerda, uh, who worked there for a couple of years and, and recorded this data that you were talking about. And in that data, in that first year, there was 925 phone calls that went to end out. Okay, now to be fair with some of this data, that could have been two, three, four calls on the same coyote. Sure. It could have been just roaming through the neighborhood and, you know, the people down on the corner saw it, so they called, and half another five hundred yards down the road, these other people saw it, so they called. But my point is that if that's probably the same all the way through, well, they waited till 2017. In 2017, that jumped to twelve hundred and seventy-five calls. These are calls of, hey, there's a coyote in my backyard. What am I gonna do? Well, they're not the dog catcher, okay so um i think it got the attention of endow and saying wow this is that was a 23 percent increase and then they moved to 2018 where it jumped all the way to 1661 calls which which they're saying okay uh we need to take this to the next level um and they started capturing data by the month and charting it so um and this was all public information out there guys they had it on their website at the time and stuff and uh, they had a heat map that they would put out. And in the month of June, which is kind of right after the, the, the pups have come out of the den and all that stuff, and they're out and they're foraging and stuff, they they got over 200 phone calls in one month. Now, this is from a community. that didn't get 200 phone calls in a decade. Now it's condensed down into a month. And what astounds me is they think the solution to this and other problems we have throughout the state is to quit the coyote calling contest and instead instead and now just last month's meeting on their predator control voted unanimously to spend a hundred thousand dollars on coyote uh, lethal control so you have sportsmen that are paying for the opportunity to do that um because they can't sell the pelts unless they have a trapping license so yes you can hunt coyotes without a hunting license in the state a non-resident can even come in here and hunt them they are an unprotected species but by doing this resolution and the state wildlife board correct me if I'm wrong are they not thinking about putting a protection on an unprotected species
1: at least in some respect i don't know what the what the legal ramification of all that is i think the The important part is that the right hand doesn't agree if it knows what the left hand is doing it certainly doesn't agree with it because you have uh endow through the commission uh spending as you said thousands and thousands of dollars trying to control coyotes and now you have the the clark county commission saying no we don't want you to hunt those in a contest fashion and uh, to me those are obviously inconsistent goals
0: yeah yeah so um Let's take a second. I know there's a lot of guys out here. We've got a lot of people watching and stuff. A lot of people say, okay, what, you know, what do you guys as a sportsman do out there now? What, what can you do? Well, Endow uh, hasn't received the resolution yet, uh, to my knowledge. And once they do, they will have to be taking some action. The best thing that we can do on any issue is send an email. It could be two, three sentences long that say, uh, I don't agree with banning coyote contests. Uh, put your name down, send it on in. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, right. Well, who who do, who do we send it to? Well, right here on your screen. Tiffany East, uh, the, the email address is Tiffany at TiffanyEastPR.com. And this is Tiffany East who, yes, is our chairwoman, first woman in the state of Nevada to become a chairwoman of the State Wildlife Commission. Yes. She is an awesome sportswoman. I mean, their family hunts. They you know, she's, she's out in the outdoors all the time, recreating nonstop. I think she's, uh, uh I think this is a perfect position for her. Uh, she's open-minded. She looks at it and she'll take the data and weigh it on out. So guys, write this down and girls and girls. Absolutely. Um, by the way, women, uh, hunters in the last decade is up 104%. Mm-hmm. It's that, that is the fasting grow growing, um, Part of our our hunting traditions is is the women getting involved in this, so send your email off to Tiffany. Um, she will take it and she will send it to the other uh, eight uh, state wildlife board uh, members. And by the way, for some of you that may or may not know it, Tiffany is a governor appointed uh, person. On, on our, in fact, every member on our state wildlife board is governor appointed. These are not elected um, positions. So. With that being said, Tracy, let's let's uh, you know we, we got the coyote on the on the uh, golf course. Okay, that's not that's not off the internet. Um, I actually pulled that off. If you guys follow the Southern Nevada Coalition's page, you will see the actual um, news clip of interviewing a lady up in TPC Summerlin um, that had pets killed and neighbors over it. So they again, these are some of the news stories that came off. So. Um, there was reports of 13 coyotes. They were only able to capture, I think there was seven or eight in that picture. So some of them were off and didn't have a wide enough screen or whatever. They, but, they, were, they were playing but, the back nine. But, yeah, <laughs> there you go. But folks, right now, we're, we're not talking about the onesies, twosies. The coyotes in here are running in packs, are they not? Yeah, they certainly,
1: uh, again, can't speak with broad brushstrokes, but they certainly have increased in population, whether those are packs or larger groups, but it's, it appears that those family groups are staying together longer, they're more cohesive than, say, if you go up in rural Lincoln County, uh, they yeah. seem to be hanging in tighter groups longer for longer periods.
0: I know that, um, my son drew an elk tag this year. So I was up in, uh, uh area 23 hunting. And as we're out there doing a, a stock, um, on some elk, seven coyotes in the field. At one time and we're like man this is this is you know it's it's not uncommon as we're out hunting to see the ones the twos but to start seeing seven and you hear a whole bunch more yapping back you know off uh, off into the trees is is it's it's amazing so tracy you you're a guy that's been out in the field you you trap you hunt you call you you do all of this stuff what are, so we can educate some of our people out here that are debating whether to send in an email or not. Let's talk some of the diseases. What, what are some of the diseases that coyotes carry or are prone to spread um, through that? What, what have you seen, let's just, in the last five years, what have you seen uh, on the landscape?
1: Well, if you, if you go to any uh, drugstore supermarket and you walk through the pet aisle, You see all the medicine for dogs that covers everything that you can give over the counter. That doesn't include all the things that your veterinarian uh, is alone licensed to treat your dog for. I can't give my dog a rabies shot. I can't give it some of the other stuff. Okay. All those diseases are canine related diseases. They all exist in coyotes to some extent or another. Um,
0: So parvo, when your dog gets a parvo shot, they get vaccinated for that stuff. So you've you got parvo out there in the community Parvo with the
1: exists everywhere, uh, and uh, coyotes are susceptible to it. I think the major thing for coyotes that I've seen, particularly in the last five years, uh, I've seen a lot of mange in coyotes, and sarcoptic mange is a, is a very sad kind of a, a disease. What it is is a microscopic little bug that eats the base of the hair root, so the hair falls out. And so you have these Mexican hairless-looking coyotes. <laughs> Okay. And the reason I say it's so sad is because uh, what what happens is they eventually, in the wintertime, they typically freeze to death. They just can't keep warm. You see a lot of mange coyotes around agriculture. The reason you see them around agriculture is because they stay warm by hiding in, in haystacks. And they, they take refuge okay. in a place typically that's sort of man-made, in a barn, in a, in a haystack or something like that. So I see them a lot in farm-related areas and uh, that's the only way they can survive those cold temperatures they're generally more common in warmer climates so we see more of them in clark county in southern lincoln county nye county you'll see coyotes of mange uh, a lot more prolific than say in elko county because in elko county they die so quickly because it's so much colder
0: right so i put i put up a picture um so some of the people that aren't familiar with mange you can see um, this coyote right here has, uh, for lack of better terms, half a pelt. Um, he's got it on his on his main portion of his body, but his, his neck, his front shoulders, his head, his hind legs and stuff has lost all the fur and stuff. And so um, Tracy, as we were getting ready for the show, said, "Well, let me let me show you something else that's happened." Tracy personally took these four pictures in a collage. So as he's been out trapping now, Tracy, if you if you go and you trap these. Obviously, you're not touching them. You're not, you just.
1: Well, again, I don't touch them, um, not because I'm afraid of getting mange. Mange is a very specific um, disease that's related specifically to canines. I don't know that I could get it. I don't want to test the theory. I don't know enough about it. I'm not a You don't want to wear the shark suit to (laughs) see if it works? I don't want to find out the hard way that I was wrong and all of that. Okay. But... um, you know, it's it's a sad affair. Those four coyotes I caught all on the same day in the same location. Uh, these,
0: these, so Correct. you you saw not just one, you saw four Correct. coyotes Correct. that day.
1: Correct. Now the thing about mange is it occurs when coyote populations are high. Why? Because mange is spread by physical contact. Those little microscopic critters crawl from one coyote to, to the another. Next. So a lot of times, if you have a main food supply like a dead pit, uh, where, where stockmen drive their uh, drag their dead cattle and a number of coyotes will go and eat on that carcass they rub up against each other they transmit the disease and so the the take home or the 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 takeaway from this is that it occurs when populations are high it's not something that occurs when populations are relatively stable it occurs high populations and in this this instance it was around agricultural area you could you could tell there were a lot of coyotes there you could tell that the i watched the coyotes uh some coyotes with mange run out of the hayfields. I watched them run out of the haystacks. I know that's where they, they stay. Okay. Um, so th- the point is that it, it, it is uh, consistent with high populations of coyotes.
0: Um, so that, that's some good data right there. Like you just said, <clears throat> when people ask Well, what's the population of coyotes here in Nevada? Well, without giving a number, you're basically saying it's a little too high right now because they're all congregate together. So So can these coyotes right here on that golf course, uh, right here, if one gets mange, it, it can they spread it to a pet?
1: It has the potential to not only spread it to all the other coyotes there, it has the potential to spread it to other canines. So if it comes in contact with a dog, again, I'm, I'm not a veterinarian, but uh, because it's a canine-specific disease, I assume that it can spread it to other dogs. I know a lot of, I don't know a lot, but uh, I know some trappers who, for example, I have a dog. I have a dog that goes with me. And their dogs have contracted mange from the coyotes that they've caught. So I assume
0: it's... Is mange treatable?
1: It is. For dogs, it's a very difficult, long kind of a procedure uh, to do. So it's yes, you can treat it, but it's one of those that, boy, you sure don't want it. It's a very expensive process. You sure don't want to be in that. The other one is uh, rabies. Um, although we haven't seen that with respect to coyotes much, uh, maybe some of the... Uh, official uh, wildlife employees could correct me some of the USDA guys could correct me but uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of it myself in coyotes but I know that there are instances where it occurs in gray fox on Mount Charleston we have documented instances of that relatively recently yes <clears throat> and again rabies and other contagious uh, disease that uh, you certainly don't want in a population we have very well documented history in this state from the turn of the century 19... 1920s, 1930s, that area where uh, rabies was an extremely dangerous. Prolific. It was prolific yeah. and it was dangerous. And yeah. If you want to talk about a disease that is spread from one canine to another or from one canine <laughs> to a person, that's one of them. Yeah. So you don't want to be wrong when you come to the instance of... of uh, Rabies. That's just uh, that's just something you don't want to mess with.
0: You know, and, and speaking of rabies, we have a, a fellow conservationist um, who happens to be a doctor, a military doctor, who actually joined the uh, the coalition in uh, last legislative session when this was coming up. Actually, got up and testified. And I will be the first to admit, I got educated on rabies. I just thought, okay, you go and see a doctor, and you just get a shot, and you're good to go. It's shot after shot after shot. It, it's a series. What astounded me was it's $50,000 for the first shot.
1: The the other thing, uh, in in addition to the individual cost was, and what this doctor showed, what his testimony was, uh, is that in states where you have uh, avid, active coyote uh, calling and trapping, have uh, lesser rabies than in states where, for example, like Colorado, where you can't use a foothold trap, you can only use a cage, and you're never going to catch a coyote in a cage. So, in, in states like those, the the incidence of rabies was dramatically increased when compared to states that, that had active. active
0: yeah, trapping. that was part of his testimony. I got educated on that because I found out that last uh, last session, while we were up there testifying, that Nevada was one of the only states that had zero cases, mm-hmm. whereas. California, next door to us, I believe. Uh, don't quote me, but I think he said uh, it was seventy-six wow. cases. I, I, I know that it was considerably higher. Then he he gave the stats for what Arizona had had. Then he had you know states uh, Utah and stuff. And as I looked at this, and I, I I saw the faces of the of our legislators looking at it go wow this is this is above and beyond what we as elected officials thought we would be dealing with, yeah. and I thought he did a very good job of laying it out um, and knock on wood. Nevada is one of the few states that hasn 't had any and i see I see that shift I see us on the verge of shifting that if if some of these things go in right now, we can hunt coyotes twenty four hours a day three hundred and sixty five days a year, no um no license. That sounds great, but in reality, we don't have we don't have as many predator hunters as we do upland game, as we do waterfowlers. Uh, my hat goes off to these guys that will pay for the opportunity, put the gas in the truck, buy the equipment, go on out, and start taking out some of the coyotes. Because in reality, if what you're saying is true, which I believe it to be, they're doing their part to keep the numbers down. But if we don't do that, then we have to go and enlist the, the help, uh, the professional help of uh, wildlife services, and those guys do a bang up job. No, of, no uh, pun intended. Yeah, 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 bang up. There you go. They, uh, they do phenomenal. But but I'm a, uh, you know um, I'm I'm somewhat conservative when it comes to money, and I see a hundred thousand dollars going out to pay for that. And I'm like, well, why, why can't our fifty-some thousand sportsmen in the state help with that?
1: Now, now here's here's a point because I think uh, someone from the Clark County Commission would say, well, Mike, I hear all of that, but um, the coyotes we're talking about here in in metropolitan Las Vegas area, that's not where you're going to have any coyote calling contests. Nobody's going to come here and right. call coyotes, right? Right. And the response to that is twofold. One is that coyote callers will go where there are coyotes. The object (laughs) is to take a lot of coyotes. They will go where coyotes are. Uh, The second is that um, with regard to numbers of coyotes, uh, there are so many areas in this county where you can go uh, calling coyotes and have great success. Uh, I have lots of friends who go just beyond the no shooting mark and there are plenty of places to call coyotes, and there are lots of them there for the reasons we just saw from your golf course picture and others.
0: Um, so you're so so. What you're saying is there there are enough coyotes right out here that we could go on the outskirts of town and actually have a coyote calling contest, a viable one, mm-hmm. where they could actually go in and take out a bunch of coyotes. Yeah, I, I,
1: you. You, uh, you, you I always... know I
0: see them all the time I'm out. But... Well,
1: and you, you always flatter me by saying how much I'm out in the hills. And <laughs> you and my wife agree on that point. But, um, w- when I'm out, uh, particularly trapping season, because I'm out almost every day, I see a lot of callers in close proximity to town calling coyotes. Cold Creek uh, is the place that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, Lovell Canyon, um, the McCulloughs, the, the Highlands, uh, you know, the Eldorados, all of those places down around Searchlight, those guys, there are lots of coyotes nice. down there. Yeah. And those guys want to call coyotes. Now, uh, if, if you outlaw the the ability to have a contest, can they go out there on the weekend on their own dime and, and, you know, them and their buddy go call coyotes? Sure, they can do that. But when you have a contest where it isn't just it isn't just the day of the contest, these guys are like bass fishermen in a bass tournament. They don't just show up at Lake Mead on the day of the tournament and say, no,
0: they, they, man, they...
1: wonder where the fish are. Yeah. They show up weeks in advance. Yeah. They know exactly where the fish are. They've go, they've gone and fished every spot. They've used a variety of lures. They know exactly what those Good fish point. are riding on. And so it isn't a matter of these coyote callers just show up on the day of the contest and say, gee, I wonder where the coyotes are. They know. They've yeah. been there. They've got their favorite spots. They've developed over time. And those spots have a lot of
0: coyotes. That's probably why a lot of people are calling me personally, because I sat on the uh, uh, Clark County Shooting uh, Park Committee for 10 years. And they, that's about the time way back when when they started changing the no-shooting zone. And I have a ton of people calling me going, hey, are we allowed to shoot here? Are we allowed to shoot there? Because now that you're saying that, putting two and a two together, I think they're starting to see a lot more coyotes and stuff like that yeah. in the outskirts. Yeah. But they're afraid. So therefore, I would rather play it safe and just let this one come, let this one come on into town and party with the rest of them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and,
1: and and it's and it's true. Going back to this argument that that, that maybe someone from the commission side of the, the fence would make that you know we're not really interfering with Kyle contests here in Las Vegas. Well, if that's the case, why is your petition to outlaw it in the entire state? If 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 your if your angst is that there too many coyote callers here in Clark County or you don't want them calling around Las Vegas. That's a, that's another cup of tea. That's a horse of a different color. But if you're saying, we want to dictate how people in Eureka call coyotes. Uh, yeah. We want to dictate to people who live in areas of high livestock concentration. We want to dictate to people who happen to enjoy coyote calling contests in areas where we have major fawn depredation, Oh, uh, where we have major bighorn sheep depredation due to coyotes. Um, Again, uh, I have all the respect in the world for the uh, for the Clark County Commission uh, when they're in their area of expertise. I try not to get out of mine. I'd appreciate them not getting out of theirs and remaining uh, issues of Clark County that they've been elected to uh, govern us, not in wildlife issues throughout the entire state.
0: Right, and you know, I got a target on my back. I I'm not, I I don't care, but I go out and I I, I take that as. Okay, the reason we're doing this coalition, I'm not trying to put words into their mouth, but it's the same thing to me as saying we don't have enough coyotes in Las Vegas. We, we want more. We, we don't care about our constituents losing their pets to coyotes. Right. That means nothing to us. We want to save the coyotes, which is an unprotected species. I'm not putting words in their mouth, but by me reading body language and, you know, say, hey, well, they want to do this. So, okay, so what that really is telling me is – my county commissioner doesn't think I have enough coyotes in my backyard, and I can show you a picture of six coyotes in my backyard. And, and, and my guess- I'm at fault for living on a golf course, but not this golf course, but I, I get it.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the, the important thing for, for listeners is show them that email address again because I think that they should contact the Wildlife Commission and say, hey, you've been tasked with promulgating regulations for the entire state. Based on science and data, based on your science and data, based on the input you got from the cabs, from your staff, uh, we think coyote contests are uh, a vital part of wildlife management for coyotes in particular, and we would encourage you to do what the legislature did and say uh, we're going to continue to do what we do in the way that we do it, um, and not listen to the Clark County Commission.
0: So, and and I agree with you. So. Um taking that, if that is outlawed, that tool is taken out of the toolbox, throw it away. What other tool is out there to control coyotes Well, it, without it, involving the government? Well, uh, two,
1: two, two responses to that. One is the obvious one, and that is that if it's not involving the government, that, that cuts out wildlife services. Those are government trappers, yeah. government hunters. Can't rely on them anymore, although they typically have an exception where they can come in and take care of, uh, uh, problem issues. I, I, I know they've done that in the Las Vegas Valley in the past couple of years where we've had, uh, attacks on people by coyotes. I know they've come in to resolve those issues. Um, but the other one is, um, I forgot my point now. Uh, you, you got me talking too much and I should be listening more.
0: Well, let me, let me stop you a second. So, so when I started talking about the escalation of coyotes, it was just sighting. So now we've fast-forwarded a couple of years, and we're seeing what California saw when, within the first five years of outlawing the the uh, the, the traps, the, the leg hole traps and stuff, they had 82 confirmed attacks on humans. Okay, to my knowledge, here in Las Vegas, we've only had less than a half a dozen. So knock on wood. Knock on wood because if we continue down the road we're going and if we follow suit with california tracy our tourism's going to be affected yeah. when, you, when you get somebody bit on the strip by a coyote the las vegas convention visitors authorities is going to be sending a resolution to end out yeah
1: and uh, let alone places like red rock like me oh. uh, all of our uh, all of our outdoor activities i think the other point i remember now is is one of precedent i think i think this is dangerous precedent Nevada to have the Clark County Commission and and I don't want to use the word dictate that's not what they did they 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 petitioned which is the, the correct term. resolution it was a resolution they you know which basically means we're asking you nicely yes is, is the, the way to say that but that's a dangerous uh, precedent because what happens next the next time the Clark County Commission gets together and decides for a social reason, I think this is all social. I don't, I don't think there's anything scientific or data-driven about this. This is all about social. Um, for a social reason, decides it wants to dictate how wildlife is managed in this state, now they have precedent. Hey, we did it with the coyote calling contest.
0: You're right, you're right. That's, uh, that's a dangerous slope. That's a dangerous path to go down. Yeah. because yeah. Well, here yeah, we're talking to an attorney, he's looking for precedent. <laughs> You, you create your livelihood on, okay, what's been the precedence already set? I don't know about cases, but uh, you're great on doing research um, and stuff like that. And you're right. If if you get a, a precedent set, I mean, this has nothing to do with it, but you go back to the road versus Wade. There was a precedent set. And it's, you know, how hard is that to change once a precedent gets set? Yeah. It's, I don't, you probably know of sometimes that it has been, but I, I don't know of any. And that's the part that scares me, and that's the part that energizes me, is to get out, get our sportsmen out there, to get involved, um, to help save this, help protect it. We spend five minutes, ten minutes applying for our big game tags. It's it's an email. It's two to three sentences. I, I do not believe that we should get rid of the Coyote Calling Contest. You don't need to write a big, huge, long right turn paper and stuff in it i and, mean
1: and 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 these wildlife commissioners they represent you and they're looking for your input they that's want true. To, they want to do what you want them to do yeah according to science and data so if they're looking at science and data and then they're asking themselves what do what do the people that i represent think i sh- oh what do they think i should do and they won't know unless you write to them. Write to them and say, here's my experience, here's my input, uh, please take it into consideration, and this is the way I would encourage you to act.
0: Great, great points. Um, so you started talking about disease earlier, and so we've already had uh, rabies on Mount Charleston. So I know that your son, uh, you got five boys, and I know that one of them, as an Eagle Scout, I think they all became Eagle Scouts, but did a uh, project up on Mount Charleston a while back. It seems like yesterday, but I know it was a while back. T- tell our audience what what that project was and what was the findings of that project.
1: Yeah, so what we did was uh, through Endow's help, which I really appreciate, and through a cooperation with uh,
0: uh, the health department, U.S.
1: US Wildlife. Uh, services, the, the government trappers, actually it was Jack Spencer who came up with the idea uh, and he told me to talk with uh, the folks at Endow. I did. They agreed with it. And uh, so what we did is we got a permit to live trap foxes on Mount Charleston area and we would test them for plague, for exposure to plague, bubonic plague. Okay. So, uh, and, and the way this works, again, in not a veterinarian, so I'll give you the I'll give you the second grade. Uh, we
0: took some blood out of it, and we yeah. So what I we gotcha. do is
1: what we do is we take a very small blood sample, and we send it off uh, to the Southern Nevada uh, Health Department. Health Department. They send it to the CDC, who tested it for plague. And what you do is you test the blood sample to see if certain titers are present, which basically means that the, the this little plague is spread by uh, a flea. The flea bites the fox. If it has a plague, then the fox develops antibodies to fight the plague. And so when you test the blood of the fox, you're testing for these antibodies. And this is – everyone
0: knows Kind of like our COVID exactly. now. Say, getting... everybody knows about this okay. now. Okay. We got antibodies. That's... I mean, my wife's got antibodies now. That's right. She's been bit by the flea. So,
1: so some of these fox uh, would develop antibodies, and so we're really testing. We're looking for these antibodies. And so uh, my son uh, – and with my help, we live-trapped fox up on Mount Charleston one summer. Um, we caught a bunch of fox. I don't remember how many. But the first group, I remember, we, we organized the first group of samples. And I think there were, I want to say there were about 30 samples. Okay. And we sent them down
0: to the Southern Nevada. There's 30 fox on Mount Charleston?
1: Oh. Yeah, <laughs> at
0: least. Put another zero on there?
1: <laughs> at least. Okay. So uh, anyway, the, the uh, Southern Nevada Health District came back, and the, the fellow uh, there who we worked with, was very excited. He said, a third of your fox came back positive.
0: For plague. For plague. Antibodies for plague.
1: Correct. doesn't mean they have plague. Right. It just means they've been exposed to it, which tells us that the rodents they're eating, which is where the fleas come from, so the fox catches the rodent and eats it. While he's eating it, the flea jumps on the fox. It bites the fox. He develops antibodies. Gotcha. So what they said is we're extremely interested in that didn't want to say alarmed or anything, but we're extremely interested in that because, A, we didn't have that data before. B, we don't have the budget, the equipment, or the manpower to go out and do what you did.
0: To do that tent. Great.
1: Uh, So you provided a free service to us. Would you do it again? Would you keep doing (laughs) it? And so we did for the next, I think, two or or three years. Uh, We took a lot of samples from a lot of fox in Clark County. And presented those to the Southern Nevada Health District. They were tested. We never, we never got that high an incident again. We we, we continued to, to experience.
0: Did you trap at the same spot? Uh, yes. Just asking as a baseline. Okay.
1: We trapped the same spot. We trap all over the mountain, um, give or take, depending on the year and how, sure. you know what we were doing at the time. But um, there were there were a lot of those fox came back positive, and it was. Uh, something that the health district was extremely uh, grateful for because, like I say, they didn't have the manpower, the budget, or the expertise or the equipment. They didn't know how to go out and catch foxes. They, you know, they're they're dealing with test tubes and
0: yeah. syringes. They didn't have anything to,
1: to petri dishes. About all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was free money to them, and so they really appreciated it. But it really uh, was an interesting project, and what I thought was very valuable to, for him to do.
0: It's, well, it's still living on because you've told it to me a couple of times. Hey, my, but you didn't go into as much detail then Is I, I, mean, I, I think I'm a data guy. Actually, I'm a data freak. I mean, I'd love seeing the data. I, I like the graphs. I want to, I want to understand what affects the, the peaks, the valleys, uh, all of that stuff. And, and how do we, once we learn some of that stuff, how do we control it, which would dictate our next step or our next two or three steps. So, um, I guess it didn't warrant um, putting a notice out up in Mount Charleston. You know, the, the summer comes, the hikers go on up, the pets. Yeah, um, I, I,
1: don't, I don't know the politics or policies of all of that. I don't know what, what they did with that data. Perhaps it wasn't enough. Because, again, after uh, the next couple of batches of samples, that seemed to die down. I don't know if that was a seasonal thing. Whereas the year went on, it just kind of disappears in the winter only comes back in the summer I don't know any of that I just know that it was it was uh, very alarming to them and the point that uh, Vivek Raymond who was the gentleman at the health district at the time point he made is that he said I don't know about the population dynamics of fox and the rodents they prey on but I do know the population dynamics of Clark County I know there are more people this year than there were last year, gotcha. and that next year there will be more people. And if you don't think there aren't a lot of people up on Mount Charleston, I invite you to go up one day when it snows, go up to Mount Charleston, and just sit at the Kyle Canyon oh. exit and count how many vehicles. There are people all over that mountain. Yeah. And if if there is a, uh, a viable plague, rabies, or, or uh, mange problem, uh, as our population increases, obviously, the the opportunity for that contact increases yeah.
0: as well. I, uh, I get amazed um, that, uh, cause I've, be, I've become attached closer to the medical industry uh, in the last decade. And the thing that amazes me is you get one case, one positive case of West Nile virus and it hits the news. We've actually had people now die of West Nile virus, but it's to the point where, hey, first case of the season for West Nile virus. And I remember where they started here in the county, going out and go, hey, who's got a green swimming pool? That's what we need to watch for. Those are, you know, those are those are the signs. That's the symptom. If you got some people have moved out and they got a swimming pool, but you know, they turned the power off or the, whatever. The crash
1: in oh seven oh eight. That was prime time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, big time. But it's always amazed me of in the wildlife because they got a lot of disease out there. Yeah. Um. Um. I've seen some of it, not like you have, because even though if I'm lucky enough to get a deer tag, just like that fisherman that goes out and fishes before the tournament, I'll go pre-scout. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I see, um, I see the changes. I don't see the changes as fast as the trapping community does because when you have a trapping season that's 120 days, you, you think about it, you guys are out in the field a third of the year where most guys, um, that are lucky to get out, you know, one weekend a month yeah. or something to to do that. So, well,
1: you, you know, when we have our uh, trapping rendezvous and meetings, uh, we always do demonstrations and workshops and stuff. And typically they're about, you know, how do, I, how do I get to be a better trapper? How do I set my trap better? How do I skin my animal better? Um, the last few we've had, we've had a, a fellow that is employed with USDA. I, we call him the disease guy. I won't mention his name because I don't know that he wants a bunch of phone calls. But. The disease guy uh, comes and does a presentation, and he talks about the diseases that are out there, uh, and and his theme is it's not your grandfather's outdoors anymore. You know, I was a kid. That's good we, point. If if you showed up with latex gloves to, to field dress your deer, someone would call you all sorts of names. But like, now I, I I wear latex gloves all the time when I skin any animal, when I when I even birds. And the reason is, uh, you know, I've listened to his presentation over and over, and it, it is nothing to be uh, fooled with. We're not trying to scare anybody. I, I encourage you to go out and do what you're going to do. But I just tell you to exercise caution because uh, i just give you one for instance. About f- five or seven years ago, I got an infection from a gray fox. I scuffed my elbow, and I was holding a fox at the time, and I made the mistake of rubbing my Open wound with the same hand I'd handled.
0: Did you? Okay.
1: I developed a serious infection in my left uh, elbow. It still bothers me today. I had to have some significant treatments for it, uh, and it's it's a permanent thing now. I I have a permanent condition in my left elbow because of that disease and the consequences of that disease. So, don't uh, don't think we're making up boogeymen to get our way in terms of a policy decision. <laughs> the policy decision has its own facts. Uh, when we talk about disease and the effects of disease and the frequency of disease, those are real things and they have an impact on the policy. So um,
0: anyway, let's, you know, let's talk about why is a coyote unprotected? Uh, You know the general public hears, um, if they attend wildlife meetings, they hear quota setting. They'll hear it for big game, you know, um, they'll hear it for waterfowl, even though it's it's more of a species direct. Um, it's still seven, but you know, then we go into greater detail. What what ducks of what species can you take? But jackrabbits and coyotes
1: and cockroaches
0: and cockroaches. That's right, are unprotected. Yeah.
1: So coyotes have a couple things going for them. Uh, one is they're very intelligent. Uh, uh, second is they're. It's highly not pro-
0: just because of the TV show. No. Okay.
1: They're uh, they're highly prolific. They have large litters, they uh, are very adaptable. they uh, adaptable in terms of where they will live, their habitat requirements, uh, their nutrition requirements. They're very uh, resistant to uh, drought, to hunger. <laughs> they will eat anything and everything. And so they, they are sort of a, uh, they're sort of the Superman of the animal world. They can, they can live lots of places others don't and uh, highly prolific. They, they reproduce very consistently. They have very, very few needs, and they will make do with whatever you give them.
0: Yeah, I've, I've studied, uh, I, I studied history of our state, and that, uh, that really gets my excitement level going when I can look at that. And I know that, that um, we have a governor's uh, rabies commission back at the turn of the last century in the 1900s and stuff. And I know that there was a move because, and the reason I'm bringing this up, you never hear us talking about eradicating a wildlife animal. But there was a, a very strong conscientious move to eradicate eradicate coyotes in the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. They failed. They, yeah. they, they tried. It's hard. They put everything they could, their time, their money, their effort, their poisons, all of that stuff that's now been abolished and stuff, and they still couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about eradicating any species, particularly coyotes. I I respect coyotes. I think they're an interesting animal, and uh, I don't think the landscape would be the same without them. But th- the period of time you're talking about, there was a big war that was fought by stockmen on the one hand and coyotes on the other hand. Yeah. And it was, uh, the, the, one of the major players was sheepmen. And they don't like to be called sheepmen. They like to be called stockmen so, okay. or wool growers. Um but they, they were one of the major players. And so you grew up in Lincoln County and that area. You you remember the time when you'd go up around Ely and Ward Mountain and that area in the summertime and you'd see herds and herds sheep. of sheep everywhere. Yeah. You don't see that anymore. So the coyotes won that round. The sheep the sheep growers are really on their way out. They're uh, I, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but they're kind of on the way out. Yeah. And for so long the the wool growers bore not only the financial burden, but a lot of the uh, the labor burden of controlling coyotes. And sportsmen were the beneficiaries of their work and their money. As they tried to suppress coyotes, that benefited wildlife because you didn't have that number of coyotes.
0: Chasing a deer. Depredating Ch- deer, Chasing, yeah.
1: antelope, sheep, whatever it was. So uh, we, we've been very fortunate. And I think... One of the one of the subtle things that's gone on that I have never seen really articulated in a lot of the literature is as wool growers and domestic sheep on the landscape decrease, it's probably no surprise that we see coyote problems. I'm not saying coyote numbers, but coyote problems increase, and those would include, uh, you know, wild game and domestic livestock, sheep. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, cattle and Horses I think that's a I think that's an area where the coyotes will shift they they are very good at adapting And if there are not if there are not domestic sheep on the landscape. They will eat something else
0: Yeah, no they they do and you know and I was I was going to talk about that because you look at some of our deer populations of of where they're at and As you you get to the peak of some of those uh, the populations of the sheep from the bass people and stuff it's true. I mean, yes, the coyotes still ate deer. They still ate the fawns. But the opportunistic uh, hey, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Yeah, if you the coyote if, would
1: Yeah, if you have to your choice of catching a <laughs> mule deer or a domestic sheep with the same amount of energy being applied, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat lamb every day. Yeah. Yeah. So And and you started this very conversation talking about a cultural genocide and unfortunately I think Wool growers uh, are probably one of the early victims of that They are cultural genocide, the Basque people and those who were very close to the land who uh,
0: you know they lived on it That was they, they the did day in day out 24 hours a day out there and,
1: and, and, I'll, and I'll bring up one example that you, you because it's here in Clark County. So uh, the other thing that, that sheepmen wool growers, wool growers and cattlemen, had in common is they took very good care of water sources. Yeah, They, they protected them, they developed them, they cleaned them, they all of that sort of thing. Um, and if you want a real vivid example of that, go out in the Mormon mountains and go to Hackberry Spring. And back in the day when cattle used to, uh, domestic cattle used to uh, graze that area pretty heavy, that was a very uh, productive spring, lots of water, cattle used it frequently. Today, it's really just a bunch of overgrown bushes. It, it isn't much of a water resource anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do, again, pain with broad brush strokes, but I think a lot of that has to do with uh, wool growers and cattlemen had a had a role. I'm not saying that they did everything correctly or were perfect in what they did, but I'm saying they had a role in coyote predator management. And that was whatever, whatever dollar they spent on predator management was a dollar sportsmen didn't have to spend. And we just went merrily about our way, enjoying the benefits of there being fewer coyotes to eat fawns and elk calves and that sort of thing.
0: Yes, uh, no, I know. I, I agree. And, you know, um, I, I'm going to change the subject here a little bit. I, I, I saw that. So I've watched some of the changes on our landscape. One of the things that astounded me that we could actually see in this last decade is... Um, we're our, we are on a 30-year decline on our mule deer population, okay? We had, uh, in our last episode that I did, we elaborated on the, uh, the perfect storm, if you will. But to make it short, we went, uh, we went from 115,000 deer in 1977, approximately, when our draw system started. Within 10 years, it had blossomed all the way up to two hundred and sixty. And everybody's high five, and it's like, man, this is just awesome. So many tags are given out and stuff. But we had a a very harsh winter in the early '90s that I don't think we ever recovered from, and it just it just kept incrementally coming on down and on down and on down to where we're at today. So we've gone from 115 up to 260, down to 90. Okay, uh, that's in the short without a whole lot of explanation that. Uh, my personal belief is I think we're le- less than 90, but that's, that's my personal. Well, I look at our sister uh, state next to us, which is Utah. Utah got so desperate, their, their population was 275,000. So their low was higher than our all-time high. Uh, different reasons and stuff why. Um, but they said, we got to do something. The sportsmen went to the legislature, not to the Department of Wildlife. They went to the legislature and pleaded their case. They convinced the legislature to apportion some money, a million dollars, and the plan was, we are going to do a couple of things. We're gonna force the Department of Wildlife to do habitat restoration. We are going to force the wildlife to do a $50 bounty on coyotes. Now, for the record, Department of Wildlife did not want to do that. But as a result, over the six or seven years that that program has been implemented, their mule deer population has gone from 275 to about 400,000. So with that being said, I look at, and I could be wrong, I'll, I'll take the criticism for it, but I look at what they did because I'm a business guy. How do you, how do you do more business than me? How do you, you know, what do you, what are you doing different than we're not doing? And I look at those guys, Nevada doesn't have a bounty on coyotes. They used to, there's been numerous times throughout the state, uh, throughout the history of our state, um, in the 1900s, early 1900s, a lot of counties went broke because they had the coyote bounty, which was because of the rabies epidemic. Regardless of what the reason was, they had a coyote bounty. Did it work? Yes, it took the coyote numbers down. Mule deer populations came on up, but we uh, last last month at our state wildlife. Um, uh, commission meeting Two cabs, Clark County and Washoe um, Suggested using some of the money In the coyote uh, predator thing For bounty Let's, let's let the sportsmen uh, have a crack at this And um, I know that uh, the Clark County cab Only wanted to do it for five years And and Tracy, what, what their thought on this was It worked for Utah Let's try it we're, we're at an all-time low on our mule deer. It may not be the end-all solution, but when we're doing everything, we're putting millions of dollars into habitat restoration. I, I mean, Nevada's doing what it can right now. They've got some great groups doing water um, uh, guzzlers and stuff like that. But it's as though nobody even wants to discuss. It's taboo to talk bounty.
1: Well, I guess two things. One is I'll be the first guy to tell you that I don't think that killing all the coyotes is an answer to mule deer population decline. Uh, Awafwa and some of the other uh, Western uh, groups of biologists have gotten together to try and figure out, because this isn't unique to Nevada, this is all across the West, this decline in mule deer populations. And those groups have uniformly come back with, a, depending on which uh, workshop and which year, they've come back with a handful of different Ideas and theories about what's causing mule deer decline. Right. Habitat problems, weather, drought, uh, man made populations, cutting off migratory routes, uh, impact, adversely impacting wintering range. There's a whole gamut of them. There is. But always amid among that group is predator management. And my, I guess my feeling on it is that we don't do one, only one of those. If we're playing the piano and we want to, we want to. Have a, have a symphony, we use all the keys. We don't just pound on one. And so I don't think we just pound on the predator management key, but I think it is a key that we need to play. Yeah. And, uh, again, we'll, we'll go back to Do Re Mi. Here we come back to the, the predator calling contest. Here's a group of individuals who will pay for the privilege to help with, uh, with predator The control them, yeah. And yet we have local government in one end of the state saying, no, for social reasons we don't want that. Because whatever their, their their rationale is, but I, I think that's important to note that we that that predator management is again not a biologist, but been around for a while. I think we have to consider based on all the data and research I see from biologists themselves. Predator predator management is a component of assisting mule deer and making their way back to healthy population levels where we'd like them to be.
0: Okay, so. Um On the idea of of predator control, okay, we've talked coyotes, um, bobcats. Um, Nevada, uh, educate some of our people watching right here. What type of data do we get on bobcats compared to states around us? Are we a leader in it or are we we way behind on it?
1: Well, I think our state, uh, endow and wildlife managers in our state have done a good job over the decades. We have about 40-something years of bobcat data so what happens is uh every year when you when a licensed trapper or hunter harvests a bobcat in order to to either sell that pelt or keep that pelt after the season closes they have to go to endow and get what's called a cites cites is a is a international treaty but there is a tag because bobcats are spotted cats and the treaty covers spotted cats leopards cheetahs etc because bobcats are a spotted cat is included in this treaty and uh... long story short that tr- the regulations in this country are that we can harvest uh... and specifically the state we can harvest bobcats as long as we manage them and provide certain information and control their export and so the way we control their export is you have to go to endow you have to get a plastic seal, so a little tag that goes that's the little
0: export. yellow that you sh- Looks like people have around their wrists exactly. for can't say cancer exactly. and stuff. I that's, gotcha.
1: That's permanently attached to the pelt. Um, and at the time, uh, this was kind of a I, I heard Pat Cummings talk about it as a shakedown of the trapper. So <laughs> the trapper pays Endow five bucks for the privilege of getting that little plastic tag on there. And what the trapper also gives Endow is data. Okay. It has to you have to, as a trapper you have to tell the date you caught the cat. You have to uh, what gender the cat is, and the location, generally speaking, where you caught the cat, okay. and what big game unit you caught the cat in. Um, and from that data, along with the lower mandible for each of those bobcats. So along with that data, they they pull a tooth from that lower mandible, they boil, uh, boil the teeth, the jaws, pull a tooth from that mandible, and they can examine that tooth and determine whether or not that is an adult or whether that... Uh, Animals born within the last nine months. Okay. Nine to ten months. So we we call them kittens, but they're not, you know, they're not not the little kitten that you think of. They they just mean that they were born within the last year. And what happens is the true tooth, as it grows, the the bottom of the the tooth closes together. When it's closed, we know it's an adult. If it's still open, we know it's a juvenile. It's not, it's within its first year of life. And so now we can create, not we, but now Endow creates. A matrix which establishes things like male to female ratios, okay, adult female to uh, kitten or young of the year ratios, and so we have a we have a plethora we have a, a lot of data on bobcats over the last forty years. In fact, other states look to our state as saying those guys have the data and a great system for accounting for all of our bobcats and and make sure that we handle that population accordingly. And then each year uh, Endow's fur bear biologists that that department suggest to the Wildlife Commission they they propose what the season ought to be on bobcats. How many days, how many yeah based on that data. So we we don't we don't try to manage our bobcats by by limiting the number that we take. In other words, this Utah for example says you can catch no more than six. Okay you can shoot no more than six. We say the amount is unlimited the way we control that is by the time of the season the length of time right. we have the opportunity to harvest them and because we have such long uh, standing data it's pretty easy for endow to say every day that goes by we can pretty much predict how many cats would be taken each day, day after and so if we want to shorten the harvest a, a a finite amount we know about how many days it will take to accomplish that so much.
0: they're still controlled Absolutely. It's just, it's Absolutely. just, it's just a different way of 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 controlling it that, than That others. is the method.
1: That's the method, and it's uh, we have a healthy population. Have for the sixty years uh, since I've yeah. been dealing with it, the battle.
0: And for some of the people that aren't trappers out there, that don't know um, this tagging that Tracy's talking about. The the uh, the last tagging days is the February twenty seventh, twenty eighth, in Fallon.
1: Actually, it's March fifth in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas,
0: so. Uh, so, let's elaborate on that. So, trappers throughout the state, because we've got them up in Winnemucca, you got them in Eureka, you got them in Vegas. So, there are um, these tagging locations, I call it.
1: Wherever Endow uh, has offices.
0: Okay. So, so uh, if you, even though the season closes in February, you have until March here in Las Vegas to take your animal, your, basically not your animal, your bobcat, mm-hmm. to go on in to get tagged. Right. Okay. Right. Coyote can be hunted 365 days a year.
1: Yeah, bobcats and otter are the only animals we have in this state that have any restriction on export. And uh, just as an aside, 99% of the fur bears harvested in our state are exported, so export out of the country. Right. Right. So uh, we, the way I like to put it, is we export our fur and import dollars. Yeah. And that's the we about a million dollars a year for uh, fur bears in Nevada, depending on market and,
0: you know. So, so the trappers from Nevada bring in a million dollars into the economy for Nevada. Again,
1: I'm painting with broad brushstrokes because you know when the fur market is up, we probably I'm bring sure in more. I'm sure they got good years when and we, bad when years. We, but when the fur market is down like it is now, uh, we, we don't quite as much.
0: So yeah. let me ask you the proverbial question. What would happen to our data and science if trapping was outlawed?
1: Well, well A, it would become irrelevant. Uh, B, we would lose it. Uh, there'd be no reason to have it. Uh, and we wouldn't have the resource to acquire it. There wouldn't need to be a tagging. There wouldn't need to be a jaw tag. There wouldn't need to be a, a lower jaw. There wouldn't need to be a, 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 an assessment of teeth. You wouldn't have any resources to acquire all that. So it would all go out the window. And uh, which is what California has elected to do. They've elected to eliminate any form ignore of.
0: Hi- ignore history? any form of
1: bobcat harvest and that's fairly recent but uh, what what you're starting to see is again I'm not one of these guys that says you, you, you annihilate all the resources but all of those without sand, sounding Walt Disney-ish all of those predators out there in the, in the environment there's a cause and effect. If you remove bobcats you stimulate the growth of cottontails and game birds because that's what they prey on. If you remove all the, uh, the ability of, of people to harvest bobcats, bobcat harvests dramatically, I'm sorry, bobcat populations dramatically increase and they have to have something to eat. And what they eat is cottontail rabbits and game birds. And so what you'll start seeing over there is uh, sportsmen saying, what happened to all the quail? How come there are no chucker anymore? What happened to all the cottontails? We used to see a lot of cottontails here when we'd come hunt them. Well, somebody else is hunting them. So They're much, yeah. They're much more efficient. Yeah, uh, much more efficient hunter than you are, and they get to hunt 365 days a year.
0: Yeah. So, so the cost and effect—it's kind of effect, it's kinda like, well, when the kids leave the house, go off to college, our food bill goes down. Yeah. Uh, except when they come back and they bring the grandkids with them, our food bill goes up for the holidays. Yeah. It's yeah. I I, yeah. I get you. So um, I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to put a call out to our viewers right now. While I have Mr. Truman here with this, is there any questions that you would like me to ask him about trapping? I, I'm not a trapper. I, I understand the service that trapping provides in the state. I'm, I'm extremely appreciative of it because I, I'm a big game hunter. I, I wanna hunt the deer. I wanna hunt the elk and the antelopes. And these trappers in this trapping community um, throughout the state help to protect uh, our fawns. The calves, our waterfowl, our upland game. Um, And I I personally, as a sportsman, I don't think that we can say thank you enough to that community. But what really, um, I guess what really gets me, Tracy, is how how knowledgeable the trapping community is. If you want to know about wildlife in the state of Nevada, sure, you have some guys that their passion is just sheep. There's nothing wrong with that. We we need that type of expertise out there. There's guys that only want to hunt deer. There's guys that only want to hunt elk. But you guys are out trapping, get to see all of it. And you get to see that cause and effect as you go. And I'm sure that, you know, you don't hunt, you don't trap the same area every single time. Me, I try to go fishing the same spot. If I caught a bunch of fish, I want to go back to that fishing hole and and, and do it. But I also like to go to different lakes and stuff like that. So I'm sure that to most of you guys, even though you want to trap, you trap in Nevada, but you've got your certain spots that you want to go and say, you know, I haven't trapped that spot for four years, let me, let me go back o- over there. So you guys aren't hitting it day in and day out at every single spot. And I think that's one of the misnomers that um, some of the uh, non-consumptive users think of us as sportsmen is, well, we got a gun, we're successful. We can go out and and shoot and harvest whatever we want. Well, trappers, they got a trap. All the animals got to do is step in it. And it's like, well, um, would you- There's a little bit more to it than that. (laughs) There is. And I started uh, a couple years back, I started crunching some numbers. I got thinking, if you had X amount of trappers in the state and each trapper had X amount of traps, and I'm going to tell you the odds, Tracy, of catching an animal in a trap you, let's say you you have this trap, call it your number one trap. You put that out, you you might catch something in that trap that year, but you might go three years and never catch something in that trap. And that's the part that I think some people don't understand is because your success rate is so low that uh, I, think, I think when I did the numbers and I crunched them, it's like you had five million opportunities to catch something, but why was there only 1,000 coyotes sold at the tra- at the first sale? Why was there only 1,500 bobcats? You mean out of the five million opportunities, you guys could only catch 1,500 bobcats? You're making me depressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I'm like, okay, so, so as I got in, I look at it, is it because we don't have that many? Well, if you look at the definition of sustainability, if you can catch the same amount, harvest the same amount every year for 20 years, to me, that is the epitome of sustainable. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, certainly trappers don't have a corner on wildlife knowledge. I know a lot of guys and girls who are very passionate about what, you know, pick your sport, sheep, deer, elk, antelope, fish, whatever. And they will spend hours and hours and hours and days and days spotting and glassing and planning and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I applaud them for that. I was out at Lake Mead one day this summer fishing and thought I had the whole lake to myself. And I looked up. On the hill, and there were two guys in camo with a spotting <laughs> scope looking at some sheep. I thought, bless you. You know, you're doing your own yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. But um, we, we are lucky that we have roughly a four-month season, whereas any big game season is at most, what, a month? Um, oh,
0: uh, it, well, y- yeah, it's, it's in the weeks category. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so we have this long season. Um, we, by law, have to check our traps at least every 96 hours. So you're out there. Uh, frequently, a lot of us have a number of trap lines, so I check that trap line on one day and that one on a different day, and then I come back and I check that one. And, and then your point about uh, over-harvesting a, a resource, you know, trappers go when they're, where there are animals. Uh, there's nothing more depressing in my life than checking empty traps. My my wife will tell you when I come home and the traps have been empty, I am grumpy. That's so.
0: like going to Christmas morning, getting up and there's no presents under the tree. Or worse. <laughs> or <Yeah>. worse. <laughs>
1: Or worse. But uh, I would, I, I think I view trappers a lot like farmers. You know, we, we're rotating crop all the time. If i gone into that canyon and I've caught five bobcats and I've gone in there that, that summer, back when you could in the summer, uh, use your trail cameras and you figure out there's about five bobcats there to catch. And you caught those five bobcats, you knew that it was pointless to go back in there for a while because it's going to take a while for cats to filter back in there and repopulate that little canyon. And they will. It just takes them a little time to do that. Um, So I I picture trappers more like farmers. That I I farmed that canyon one year. Now I'm going to go farm this canyon the next year. Gotcha. Farm that canyon the next one. And then I'll come back here every two to three years is about what I figure for, again, talking bobcats, not coyotes. Uh, Coyotes you can hit pretty hard. I had one location last year uh which is this high mange area um and i caught uh, 59 coyotes within about a two mile radius um, a
0: two mile radius yes two wow. mile.
1: and i was so excited to go back out there this year and i have a good friend who's with wildlife services and he said you will not catch 59 more coyotes out there they're just not there and so i went back out and you know bless his heart he was right i only caught about 20. but uh it, coyotes like anything else, you know, you can you can knock them down; they'll come back, that sort of thing. But um, anyway,
0: I, I know you know. Speaking of stories, I I, I talk a lot on the phone. I call people throughout the state. I I'm always trying to gather data. I'm trying to do research, and I I talked to one gentleman up in the Washoe area, up in up in Reno, who um, had a lady that had a 200 acre ranch, and she never had a calf survive. She's she's you know she's she's having these calves born and stuff, and they just don't survive. She called up a trapper and said, "Can you help me?" And he said, "Well, sure." And so this is pro- close proximity to town, if I know. The the, story. Yeah, the, the the guy was telling me he goes where I'm trapping. I can see town. Yeah, I go wow, and he only put out a half a dozen traps, and I think in that year um, he caught. In a 200-acre ranch, he taught he caught um, upwards of almost 40 coyotes mm-hmm. in one year at that, and it was the first time that lady had ever had calves survive. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, uh, a coyote's a furry creature. It's got little brown eyes. Looks like a pet. Looks like a dog and stuff like that. But they are they are prolific. Yeah. And uh, you know, you talked you just talked about cause and effect. Well, because you had so many coyotes on that piece of property, this lady was never going to be able to have any calves. They're just, she was, she was supplying the food for those coyotes. And so.
1: And now imagine if one of those coyotes had mange. Oh. And there's 40 of them living on this 200 acre range.
0: Well, and yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, it is, it is a bigger playing field. It is a bigger picture. But in our state, we, we do have diseases that we have to watch for. Now, I'm gonna knock on wood, because I'm, I'm a big game hunter. so the one thing that scares me is CWD. Yeah. Well, chronic wasting disease. Uh, knock on wood, uh, kudos to Endow. They, they, they check it every single year, um, you know, at the meat processing places and stuff. We do about a thousand samples, I think, a year, and we are one of the few states that has never had a single case of CWD. There's a lot of other states close to us that can't say that. Yeah. And um, guys, we, we, we do need to control the numbers, not just because we're, we're sportsmen and we want to harvest our deer and stuff, but like anything else, if you don't mow the lawn, it's gonna, it's not going to look beautiful. It's uh, uh, You're going to have all other kinds of things inside there living that you don't want to be living in there, didn't know was in there. Um, so we... Uh, uh, provide a service to the state of Nevada for our wildlife management and I know that I know that it appreciates the uh, end the our appreciates the feedback that they get from big game hunters all of us by law must fill out a hunter questionnaire send it in if we don't we cannot apply for a tag next year it is that simple or now we can pay a fee a fine for not doing that so um, just for some of the people that might be watching that are not sportsmen and stuff um, we have creel census. we have hip numbers for um, um up and game you know how many dove did you get how many quail did you get how many ducks did you get there's data being captured on all this if the hunting community was to go away our history goes away it's that simple it's it, it's it's the data and everything else so um, got a question here. Who, what's the email address again? Here it is right here. It's Tiffany at TiffanyEastPR.com. Um, send, send your comments into her. She's, uh, she's waiting to hear from it. Um, I, I thank her for the job that she's doing. Um, she's, uh, uh, she's up there. She's wanting to get the, uh, the data. Um, this data happens to be coming from sportsmen as well as the non consumptive users because, as you guys know, there's, there's a lot of people that either uh, don't understand what we're doing, don't believe in what we're doing, are totally disgusted with what we're doing. But I can tell you that sportsmen can hold their heads high because we are the providers of data and knowledge. So, again, it's Tiffany at tiffanyeastpr.com. Tracy, I got a uh, got a question here, Jared. Uh, what are the biggest predators of coyotes and bobcats, outside of man? It's a loaded question, but I asked to see how the. Let's see.
1: Mountain lions.
0: You didn't need to know the rest of the question, did you? <laughs> no. Yeah. So you know, um, I, uh, we've got we've got a few minutes left. Uh, I will tell a, a quick little story. As we went live last Thursday, by Friday and Saturday, I had ranchers calling me. Um, my name is on Facebook. My phone number is on Facebook. A uh, Southern Nevada Coalition. Uh, I am the president of it. Um, but I had uh, I had some people from up in the Washoe call me and say uh, and tell me. He said, "Do you want me to tell you what the problem with calling coyotes?" Now I was thinking that this is somebody that's not approving. He goes, "You have to go through three or four mountain lions before you get a coyote in."
1: Some areas. I, I
0: was appalled at that
1: yeah, some areas
0: because i was like are you telling me that you're calling mountain lions in on coyote calls he goes yes they're looking for food there's so many up there and i said that's probably one of the biggest reasons why our deer herds is is not only declined but in some areas non-existent yeah um in areas that uh, we used to be so So predator control is a tool. It needs to be had. Um, I'm going to finish his question here. To see how the population of these animals will be actively managed without the help of hunters and trappers, it seems that our abilities to hunt these animals are solely being eroded away. Uh, That's true. Um, Mountain lions um, are hunted uh, 24 hours a day. Um, Each person can have two tags. They do set a quota. They just never hit it. Um, the quota that the uh, State Wildlife Board just approved at the last meeting was 247. Um, but for whatever reason, there's a lot of people that uh, won't get out and hunt that. There's where the business mind of me takes over and says, okay, you need you need to incentivize it. So I'm gonna plant a seed right here and say, you know what? If, <clears throat> if we're only taking out 190, 180, 200, um, and the problem is, isn't the quota, it's the problem of getting people out there. It costs so much money to get somebody to go hire a guide to take them out get most of them. I'm going to throw something out there, planting a seed. I personally would like to see, if somebody harvests a mountain lion, I'd like to see them get five bonus points on a big game draw. Interesting. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you fill both uh, mountain lion tags, you got ten bonus points. That's how a business person works to get somebody to help move their merchandise along. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean to call uh, wildlife merchandise, but in the reality of it, it is. Here's where we're at right now in the equation. Endow, Nevada, Nevada Department of Wildlife, knows how many tags they give out. Then they know through the hunter questionnaire how many got harvested. The big question they have, they work off trends, they don't know how much product came in the back door. That's called your fawn recruitment. And you may have a good uh, a good fawn recruitment season, but bobcats, mountain lions, coyotes can wreak havoc on that.
1: They're the shoplifters.
0: They're the shoplifters, <laughs> they, they, they are. And so I'm hoping that people understand how this all ties together with predator management and and the need for it so um tracy we got about two minutes left on there is there anything i, I want to thank you for coming well, thank you're, you. you're, for you're sure. a wealth of knowledge um, i know that i call you from time to time and ask how you're going not looking for the honey holes or whatever but but you know you are one of the ones who tips me off to oh man i'm you know i'm seeing a lot of mange i'm you know i'm seeing this and that and um it alarms me and and it, i guess i'm one of the guys that's the messenger I, I'll get out, I'll I'll put my face on live like this and and tell everybody, you know, um, I'm trying to represent a lot of the sportsmen here in the state and the sportsmen's organizations. We need to have a voice. We can't have a voice if the people out there aren't willing to pick up the keyboard and send emails in. You, You pick up the keyboard to apply for your big game tags, it only takes you two minutes to send an email to Tiffany. And this may not be the only time, but when big issues come up that we're really fighting and we need some help, this program right here will reach out to you. We'll tell you who to call, who to email, what we need to do, and um, stay tuned to the Southern Coalition for Facebook page. Share that with a lot of your friends because a lot of this information gets put out on there. So, Tracy, is there, is there anything you want to add to this?
1: Um. No, I think, uh, I'll play captain obvious, I think the one of the major upcoming issues that we're going to see in the next two years is water. We didn't get any this winter, oh. uh, and when I go out there in the landscape, uh, again, this is just my observations, I'm not a biologist, but I, I have to think that we're going to see dramatic impacts over the next couple of years, horn growth, reproduction, uh, I notice it even in the rodent population, just not a, a big rodent population this year, so... Watch for that in the next year or two, and that will be something we'll have to deal
0: with. Don't quote me, but I know that here in Southern Nevada, we went way over 200 days with no precipitation. That was, uh, you know, our monsoons in August didn't come. Uh, I think Texas got all of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got all of it. We certainly didn't. I
0: know. So, guys, uh, send your comments. And girls. Send your comments in and uh, let us know. Uh, Yeah, send them all in to Tiffany. Let us know topics that you would like us to discuss. I'd be more than happy to get somebody out there that can talk intelligently uh, about some of these topics. If you want to talk about deer, if you want to talk about elk, mountain lions, um, stuff like that, let us know uh, what you guys would like to hear us talk about it, and we would be more than happy to oblige. Enjoy your evening. Thank you.